0: Hello everyone. Before we begin today's episode, I am so pleased to report that today's guest, Dave Sheely, will be making a public appearance at the Southwest Florida Skunk Ape Conference. This is to be held on Saturday, June 4th at the Bayfront YMCA in Punta Gorda, Florida. He will be joined by a collection of skunk ape researchers and enthusiasts who to include RPG and Stacy Brown Jr. of television's Expedition Bigfoot and Finding Bigfoot, Legend Tripper Robert Patterson, and the Mid-Florida Bigfoot Research Organization founder Marie Dumont. Plus, author and videographer Connor Flynn will be there. Tickets are still on sale, but are going fast. Please check the show notes for a link to the event, and we will look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to our podcast Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your gator wrestling of a host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Today's guest has over fifty years of experience researching and understanding the Florida skunk ape. This is a huge hominid creature seen within the woods and swamps of Florida. He had his first encounter with the creature when he was only 10 years old, and has spent his colorful lifetime since then taking photos, videos, and plaster footprints to support the existence of the creature. He's also the founder of the Skunk Ape Research Center in Central Florida, where visitors can see his collection and learn about the Skunk Ape and Florida's Everglades. Please join us as we take a walk within the mist with Dave Sheeley.
1: Good afternoon, Dave.
2: Hello. Good morning.
1: Yeah, uh, I know it's very hot where you are, as it is here. So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, interview with us for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah.
2: I always always like to talk about the skunk ape and um, and the Everglades as well. It's my home, so I like to let people know, you know, what's going on. So, if you got any questions, I reckon that's why you called. Uh, I'll be
1: happy. I have, I have so many questions. But yeah, let's go ahead and start. Now, your first experience seeing an actual skunk ape was when you were only ten years old. Do you want to tell us about that story? Yeah, that was
2: 1973. Um, I was with my brother. We were back behind the property that we have here, where I live now. Um, We'd heard about the skunk ape growing up. There were there were several residents and logging companies in the Everglades back then. This is before it was preserved. Um, so it was kind of the talk of the town, skunk apes. If we'd go to a friend's house at night and I was hanging out with the kids, you know, they'd always say, "Watch out for the skunk ape." And um, so when I was 10 years old, I was out with my brother. We were hunting and. Um, He saw something crossing in front of us on the marsh and uh, identified it as a skunk ape, and the grass is pretty high here at times. If it's burned, it's obviously not, but when it's in in full growth, the the grass is about four or five feet tall, so I couldn't see over it. He had to pick me up uh, in his arms where I could look out, and about 100 yards away, there was this huge animal, and um, even though I was young, I, I knew that I was looking at something unusual, I you know, and we knew right away what it was. It was obviously a skunk ape. It was like a man covered with hair, uh, was walking through the grasses, headed into a, a large swamp. The Turner River Swamp is located here in the Big Cypress, and that was my first sighting, and I can tell you that it's, it's stuck with me until today. I've spent my whole life in, in the Everglades, looking for tracks, I I got lucky and took a video in 2000. Uh, I got some quick photographs in 97, and but my best sighting here in the Everglades was um, about. I'm you know I could be wrong on the date. I'm not real good at dates, but it was around 2007, 2009. Um I was uh, investigating a food source in a very remote area uh, based, uh mainly the salt palmetto berry. It was about a hundred acre two hundred acre uh plot of salt palmetto grown naturally and the berries were ripe and i I moved in slowly with wind in my favor at favor and i and I happened to see three skunk apes together uh wow. feeding on salt palmetto berries. So I've had four sightings, and um, I've collected over 200 cast tracks, which lead me to believe, based on their size, that that there's maybe the size of the tracks, that there's as many as seven to ten skunk apes that live here in the Everglades.
1: That is amazing. Now, you've been researching the existence of the skunk apes ever since that first sighting. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. All the way up um until about nine months ago I I kinda retired from, from doing it full time and but I, I still do podcast and talk to people. Now that doesn't mean I don't go out, but and this is where people I think they don't really understand what I do. I've basically spent my whole life in the wilderness of the Everglades alone. And And we have over a million alligators here in the Everglades area. This is a three million acre area uh, and it's the largest wild protected area east of the Mississippi River in the United States. This is a huge area and so that being said I am I've tripped over alligators I mean literally been walking through the water and tripped over eight or nine foot gator and it could easily have taken my leg. Um, I've sat down next to diamondback rattlesnakes. not you know, not that I'm stupid, I mean, but um you know they they've got a lot of camouflage, and if you're not careful, you can sit right on top of one. Um I've been attacked by sharks. Um, I've had major league infections. I stepped on a stingray and spent four days isolated on a Indian mound. Uh, until I was able to get out of the woods. It was horrible, but people don't realize that. They they watch these shows like Finding Bigfoot in a, a bad day when they get a little bit of rain, and that's just not how it is here in the Everglades, and I'm 58 years old, and my days are numbered, and I'd really like to spend as many of the, my remaining days as I can with my grandkids and my son, because I certainly have been neglective as a grandfather and a father in that regard. People don't realize that. They think that, that, that you know, skunk ape research is a joke, and it's not a joke. Um, people post funny things and say negative things, and I, I take my research seriously, and it really hurts my feelings that in some incidences I'm so
1: disrespected. Oh, definitely. I can understand the feelings with that. Now, you have been described as a glazeman, uh, which basically means that you have been born and raised in the Everglades. So, this is also the primary territory for the Florida sun case. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, I, I like to think it is because this is my home. And, you know, everybody wants to think that they live somewhere special. I can say that, you know, it is, you know, despite whether I like it or not, it is the largest wild area east of the Mississippi, protected lands, um, and and so, I mean, naturally, um, it's going to be a productive area, but skunk apes are spotted and seen throughout Florida into Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and I believe not that long ago, they ranged all the way up the eastern seaboard. You know, the, they have that thing, what's called the Jersey Devil. And the Jersey Devil has taken on all kinds of shapes and forms in my lifetime. But the original Jersey Devil story that started it all was of a set of tracks that went through a town after a snow. And they were odd in it. I think, you know, they said that it had three toes, but stories changed. I believe it was four-toed. And, um... I believe the Jersey Devil and the Skunk Ape uh, are the same. And, and, um, and traditionally, over hundreds of years, four-toed tracks were common finds
1: along the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, you have a huge collection of tracks. And the most common uh, feature on yours is that most of them are 4 toes. Is, does that make it different than the uh, Northwest Bigfoot five-toe creature? I don't know um, that anything really about the
2: Bigfoot. I'm fascinated by the Patterson-Giblin film. I would like to go there and, and see that area. But that's not where the tracks of the Bigfoot were found initially. They were found on some by like, some loggers on a logging road nearby. I think that's what prompted Patterson to go on this expedition that he went on. It uh, started a lot of the Bigfoot stuff. Um, but right now, it's been a it's been an uphill climb, a, a battle, uh, more or less, uh, for me to even talk to. Um, mainstream Bigfoot groups because they've been so reluctant to accept any of my research, my findings, my videos, it's like they've almost uh, plotted against me for over 20 years. But nowadays it seems to be coming around that we might possibly have a subspecies living here in the Everglades, something that's adapted to this environment. And I have to tell you that all of the animals here in the Everglades that aren't migratory have adapted to this environment in their own special way. So that's nothing unique.
1: We'll be back after a quick break. Greetings from Film the World Podcast. I'm your host, Trick O'More. I would like to extend an invitation for y'all to come check out our podcast. We take a look at book reviews, one a week, movies, music, pop culture, and UAP.
0: Our hottest download is Dreamland from George Knapp's Bob Lazar Saga. Thanks for checking out Film the World Podcast.
1: And it would help explain why it, there's a lot of differences in appearance and, and behavior. Of course,
2: this is. I was talking to my guides this morning. We do um, pole boat excursions into the Everglades. We're licensed through the national park. We don't do skunk ape hunts because the park, you know, the park is all about history. And if somebody brings up skunk ape, the guides are very well versed on how to deal with that. Um. But I was talking to the guides this morning, um, and I told them, I said, you know, the Everglades is uninhabitable. I said, there were Indians that lived throughout the Everglades hundreds of years ago, but it was more open. They burned regularly. It was more It was more wildlife. And it was it was a little easier, but this is a harsh environment. And even Indians initially settled up around the Tampa-St. Pete area. Those were where it was more human, uh, more fit for human habitation. But I can tell you, the Everglades is not fit for humans, um, especially modern humans that are used to having AC and stuff like that. The Everglades is very inhospitable. We have lots of insects here that will drive you crazy.
1: I couldn't let that. <laughs> now, you say you, you still go out. What is your approach when you are researching the skunk ape? Well,
2: just here the last couple days, I, I've i been getting sightings for about 24 months of a juvenile skunk ape on a road nearby. and. Um, a gentleman sent in some pictures that, I, that were pretty compelling to me because I found a lot of tracks, and they pretty much fit the profile. And so I've been down on the loop road and um, just kind of wandering around and looking. Um, there's mass movements of humans. It's become a, a tourist attraction in itself, and there, there are some public walking areas where the public can walk back into the preserve. But what people don't know or would rather not know is that this is an open area. This preserve is the first preserve in the United States of America that was ever put together. It's over a million acres. and um, so um, and, and I have a campground here and I, and you know I don't want I don't want to sound braggadocious or anything, but I've had to live through them figuring out what kind of laws to make here. And it had to be fair to me because I run a huge RV facility. So I've been instrumental in the implementation of their visitor's plan as far as campgrounds and trails and stuff go. But also, behind the scenes, I have made sure that people, that if a dad or a mom wants to bring their kid out here to the Everglades and park their car and take their tent and walk in wherever they want to go and camp... That it's legal, so you know. So the mass movements are on these trails near where I was just at, and uh, but <laughs> you're free to move about the preserve on foot and camp. You, you know, it's it's no permits required. There's nothing close to foot traffic. So <laughs> with that in mind, I went to the area. We also have indigenous people that live here. And it still used the Everglades for food source and to collect medicine. So the particular area where the photographs was near was an area where Indians have collected medicine recently, and there's also tourists within a mile or two of there. So knowing all of this, when I do my research, and, and I I tend to go to remote areas, and um, you know, I found a lot of I found a lot of human tracks. Um, but, you know, barefoot tracks, which are unusual, but it's not Bigfoot. It's just Indians. But um, based on that, I, that's kind of where I'm at now with my research. I have – there's a lady coming today with some plaster and stuff, and um, she's going to go down to – I'm going to give her the specifics of right exactly where to go. She's going to try to pick up some prints for me for my collection. So that's what I'm doing today.
1: So how many do you would you say is in your collection?
2: I have over 200 casts. That's awesome. Yeah. That that is great. I love them.
1: Now in addition to the casts, you also have a large number of photographs and you mentioned earlier about your uh, 2000 video of the uh, Sun Cave moving across the, the Everglades. You want to tell us about seeing that and recording that? yeah yeah we can talk
2: about that. and it was in July, and i uh, I do a lot of research. I told you that you know, I, just to, before we get into that i I want to tell you, I spend oh, sixty hours a week in the back country by myself, pretty much my whole life with few exceptions. I cover anywhere from 5 to 12 miles when I go on the hike. I have literally walked thousands and thousands and thousands of miles in the Everglades. I mean, the numbers are so staggering that I don't even talk about it because it's just – it's way over the top. I'm not a weekend warrior. Um, Okay, so that being said, I was doing research, and I went back to – to an area where I've seen skunk apes. It was also, it was just before the, the deer hunting season. So I was also scouting for deer as well, but I I was open to anything. I was a good area to look for skunk apes. That's when I heard a deer crashing to 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 my right. And I don't talk about this a lot and it's never mentioned, but to me, It was an important part of what was going on. So I hear this deer crashing. I turn and I look. The deer is running up a length of pines. It cuts across the marsh in front of me and disappears. (laughs) Well, I got my camera up by then, but the deer had gone. That went, it went pretty quick. And um, that's when I heard more noise coming from the same direction. So I was ready and uh, I saw it come out of the palmettos it, it got into this uh what did we call a uh, pine head and it started walking down the pine head the same direction as where the deer had went and so I kept the camera going and then when it goes down a little bit and then it turns and it crosses the marsh where the deer had crossed and that's when it really starts moving there's about a foot and a half two foot of water on the ground and it's moving out running across now you might not be able to understand this when i tell you this because you have to understand the lay of the land here in the everglades but there's what they call bridging areas these bridging areas are where the grounds four or five inches higher than other areas so I was watching this, and they both crossed on one of these bridging areas. I mean they a frequently used animal path, and uh, but there was a lot of water on it nevertheless. So if you watch the video and and you watch it, you see as it breaks free from the pine head and begins to cross the marsh at a certain part of it, water is shooting. More than like ten feet in the air, it's like a
1: spray of
2: water, and it starts really spinning out and and I don't know hauling you know ass I guess is the only way to explain it and um so but you know, nobody nobody's been here to debunk it uh I haven't you know the the video's been out there since two two thousand. It's got
1: billions yeah. of views worldwide. Absolutely. Now i have not heard about the uh, deer beforehand. Was the was the skunk ape following the deer, or was it just a coincidence that they were on the same trail? Well, you know,
2: this is this is what this is the part of the video that puzzles me, because here's the thing: Have you ever heard of endear- endurance hunting? Endurance hunting. Do you know what that means? no i'm afraid i'm not okay it's real i can assure you it's a hundred percent real and i've done it myself and and uh it's um it's totally doable that is the human body is made up differently than the body of a hoofed animal a hoofed animal can run very fast and very quick but not for not for long distance where a human can run steady for a much greater distance. And so basically what you do is you trail something and you trail it and you trail it until its body begins to break down. And when it breaks down, it will be laying on the ground in front of you. And I've done this myself to wild hogs and deer. People don't believe that. People are going to say, Dave, that's over the top. But no, it's true. And if you look up endurance hunting, there's some great videos of Africans who do it all the time. Okay. So, so, so I, believe, uh, I believe that could have been what was going on when I took the video. So I have in my mind now come to believe that, that it possibly was – in the process of an endurance hunt. Okay. Waiting for the
1: deer to fall over. It's a
2: natural, wild behavior that, you know, humans, um, animals know. You know it naturally. I can overcome this simply by walking towards it. It's just how long do you want to walk towards it? But you can overcome it. That's
1: a fact. Okay, so then the skunk ape has. Some pretty good tracking skills, then as well.
2: Well, you know, an animal, it's an animal. When you're tracking in those conditions, um, you're looking for parted grass. If it's sunny and the sun's shining, the water's all over the grass. I mean, it's just a major pathway. Um, just visually, um you know it it's not it's it's not that hard to track you know now do they have a scent gland can they not a scent gland they obviously do have a scent gland they stink but or do they have a, a an increased sense
1: of smell i'm not saying that they do at this point but okay, so then uh, you've done video. Uh, you've also taken a large number of photos. I was reading one article about your—you spent like hours upon hours in a tower, and that was where you got some of your best photos. Uh, you remember that incident?
2: No, I'll never forget that incident. I mean, it was like it was like seeing a ghost. Um, yeah, Can you share I that one with not, us? Not only that, but it took eight months to get the photographs. i was in the woods for eight months and so no yeah i i do remember it and um that was that was quite the episode there i um been sitting in my tree stand now granted i came down and ate and rested but i was full time if i was awake i was i was in that stand for eight months but I was sitting there, and I was getting tired. It was the same area where I had photographed the skunk ape. Uh, no, no, I didn't photograph it. When I had saw the skunk ape as a young boy, so it was that same area, and I set up the stand, so eight months had passed. There's there's a, a conflict of interest there because someone printed six months one time, so if you heard six months, I'm I'm telling you it was eight months, but I hear something splashing in the water. And by then I had seen everything. Deer, hogs, Florida panthers, coons, possums, otters, whatever. Everything had come by me multiple times. But this was different. It sounded like a man walking in the water, something on two legs. It was starting to get dark. I looked up, and here it came at me, and it crossed the field. This was in 97 before the video, but only about a mile from where the video was taken. So it's I, it comes across in front of me about 100 yards out, and it's just moving slow, moving towards the, that same swamp, the Turner River Swamp. And so I took 27 photographs, and and that was back when you had to send the film to the Photoshop to get it developed there were not any cameras unless wow. you guess there probably was but people didn't have them i darn sure didn't have one <laughs> so i was like i was amazed and to the point where i i started doubting myself and so i got the film into the developer and when it came back and i saw it on the pictures the photos i was relieved Because I thought I was going stir-crazy, but I was so relieved to see something was
1: there. We'll be back after a quick break. This podcast is the result of years of phenomenological trial and error. It is the product of attempt after attempt after attempt. It is also the product of
2: years of introspective analysis, brought on by the occurrence of the strange and seemingly impossible It began as an inquiry into the nature of reality. It
0: is not a work of fiction. It is a work intended to be scrupulously followed for the desired results. Only a mind free of any doubt will accomplish the task of
2: synthetically producing a glitch. Learn how, on how to create a glitch in the matrix.
1: Uh, Why would you think you were going stir-crazy? Because of how long you wanted it?
2: (laughs) I had wanted it so bad and, and as it crossed in front of me, it was almost, it was just ghostly. That's why it just, it struck me as being ghostly, but I did find tracks later. I went into the area where it went and I was able to cast a nice track. And that track is the one I have on display in my headquarters.
1: I'm glad you do. Now, in, in fact, speaking of it, you've created the Skunk Ape Research Headquarters. Can you tell us about the facility? The Skunk
2: Ape Research Headquarters. Well, I have a campground here. You have to make a living. I've got a son. Now I've got two grandkids, um, a brother, and, you know, I've got property taxes that I have to pay and stuff like that. And so I recently – my son is now the sole owner of everything. My brother and I turned the land and the headquarters over to him. He's he's just a better businessman and computer savvy, and he's willing to go to the government and get operational permits for for stuff that we do. We we do uh, recovery of um, vehicles from the swamp. So, like, if somebody's here, we have a 500-mile off-road trail system. And if people come out and break down or get stuck, we have a recovery service that's licensed by the National Park, and we stay busy with that. We do canoe and kayak rentals where people are coming here to enjoy the Everglades and nature can rent canoes and kayaks. We have Indian huts on the marsh that have a beautiful view of the Everglades savanna. Vienna that we rent out, it's called glamping. We also have cabins that are air conditioned where they don't have restrooms, but we have a nice washhouse facility that's very well maintained. Um, and then our signature tour is our Glade Skiff or pole boat tour, um, which is on the river nearby. We do night trips and, and, and two and three hour trips. And that, that's highly recommended by the National Park Service. And So we do a lot, um, and you had mentioned earlier that I'm a Gladesman, and we are truly a Gladesman family, and that is a culture that is recognized by the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, I spent the better part of my life fighting for my right to live here because it was thought that people in the Everglades was a bad thing. But I'm here to tell the general public that it's a good thing I was here because uh, the government was making a mess out of this place. And, uh, and I spent a good part of my life in meetings and just fighting, struggling for my life, quite honestly. Um, my closest friends here are the Miccosukee and Seminole Indians that I grew up with and they're the indigenous people of the Everglades, and they've helped me in many ways um, in in the past years. So if you come into my research center, what you're gonna walk in the door, and I've got lots of Bigfoot statues out by the highway just to let people know, because I don't have a lot of signage. Um, You'll walk in and to your left there'll be a counter and there'll be a girl behind it. She'll probably be on her cell phone, I'm just kidding um <laughs> yeah well we get we get these young people just out of school that and uh, she's also a a Glade person as well um and uh so you know they're they're this is their first job and um and they like it here, so we're happy to have them um but so you're gonna see a bunch of gifts around and stuff like that and t shirts which are a big seller um but What I like the most about my headquarters is in the back room, there's a $6 admission. When I'm up there, I let everybody in for free because I just that way. But when I'm not there, it's $6. And um, you go back into the room. I've got, I captured the, um, I captured what I believe is now the largest snake in the world in captivity. Now it wasn't, when I captured it, it was only 16 foot long. And the last time I had Ripley's and Guinness book here, it only measured 24 feet, and the world record was 25 feet. But it's been two years, so I need to get it measured again. But in, I, if I don't have the biggest snake in the world, I got, I got it swing here. And so that is something
1: of interest.
2: And then I have the exotic pythons that are a problem here in the Everglades, and my son and I have captured. And, and we're licensed to have these, you know, it's, it's, it's a real controversial subject, especially with the big constrictors because they're so deadly. And um, most, most big constrictor owners are killed by their snakes if they have them at home and there's been children killed. So um, it's highly regulated and we are, we are overseen by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Federation that our our pens and our hurricane plans are all intact. All of our snakes are chipped. I also have giant alligators. I've got two big males and they're in separate cages with their own female. And that's what I'm doing today. Today I've rented some heavy equipment and I'm building a gator pit for a a caiman. Caymans used to be the ones that you could buy here in Florida at this fruit and vegetable stands, but it was outlawed. But people released them into the Everglades and the local alligator trapper caught one and I was able to, able to legally obtain it. So I'm gonna have that on display. Um, but you know, it's tracks and 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 I wanna do more. Oh, oh, we're putting in a Gladesman Heritage History Museum behind that Oh, really? And, and, and we're gonna be getting a curator so when people come in, they're going to see um, airboats and swamp buggies and moonshine stills that that are, that are were from here in the Everglades. And we could talk about moonshine in all day. The only reason you don't really put moonshine in the Everglades is together is because we never got caught. But let me tell you what, there was a <laughs> lot of moonshine produced in the Everglades, train loads. Uh, in fact, I got a big moonshine history in my family. Um, and and then also on a, on a on a sadder note, but a learning note, my research was really taking up a lot of time, and several times due to conflicts with the government, I was I was hard up for money. Well, I grew up during the the marijuana smuggling days, so you know all of my friends, and I, I hate to say it, but all my friends were drug smugglers smuggling marijuana from South America. And I was offered, you know, huge sums of money to participate, and and I did every now and then just to pay the bills while I figured out what I was going to do. And um, I ended up I ended up on uh, getting picked up um, by the Federal Drug Task Force on a three-count uh, marijuana smuggling indictment. I pled guilty to possession of 30,000 pounds of marijuana. I was facing 65 years in jail. Um, but the judge was very lenient. I did my three years in uh, on in the Air Force, and uh, I'm a lot better person because of it. And uh, it wasn't a bad experience at all. Uh, in fact, I needed to get out of the swamp. I grew up kind of feral. I was a feral child, and uh, you know that's that's a whole other story in itself. But uh, so it was good to to get around people and and realize you know there was more to life than. Than just the Everglades.
1: So then, your headquarters is a great opportunity to learn about the Everglades and the people that grew up and lived there.
2: Well, yeah, it is. It is, um, and and people enjoy it. They come and like it. But you know, I want to see a lot more done, and uh, we have the money. Money's not an issue. Uh, my son, like I said, is very good with money. So, um, we're gonna be doing all of this, but, um, you know the reason he's good with money is because he thinks things through, and so we're not you know we're not getting in a hurry and doing something that won't stand the test of time, but that being said, we're hoping to have the museum open by the end of by within the next twelve months, I should say
1: great that's fantastic news, uh-huh,
2: yeah, yeah, it's good news. The bills are paid for once in my life. I don't have to <laughs> like pay the electric bill or the phone bill or, you know, gas. Or the air or,
1: conditioning. Or the car. Thank God. Mm. Now, you've also been vocal in your belief uh, that the government needs to take actions to protect the skunk ape, much like an endangered animal. How much support is there from the government for skunk apes or their conservation?
2: Okay. Well, once again, I'm going to say something, and and maybe a lot of listeners you think, well, this is just cliche rhetoric. Um, but believe me, I don't. I'm not into cliche rhetoric. Um, but there was actually a meeting held last week here uh, with the national parks, and um, I mean, several people. Uh, I, I don't go to meetings. I I don't. I'm done with meetings. Um, but several people who attended um, did mention that the uh, government officials were were the the skunk ape dominated the entire meeting. It kept coming up and coming up, and they were thinking about embracing it as part of uh, the 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 Everglades uh, Big Cypress Park. Um, so you know, I don't know how serious they are about it. You know. Back when I did attend meetings, sometimes they would poke fun at me and stuff like that, make fun of my research. And so I'm not really keen on all of that. You know, my son works with him. My son, you know, he says, Dad, we got to make it here. We got to get along with people. But I'm kind of like an Indian, you know, okay, I'll forgive, but I don't know if I'll ever forget the hell I went
1: through. We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Approximately seven and a half feet tall human-like
1: arms and legs the face is not like that of a man or an ape but something in between additionally the hands have sparse hair yet the palms are bare with five digits including an opposable human-like thumb however this creature is not human
0: repeat not human subscribe to bigfoot classified today as we explore what may be the biggest bigfoot cover-ups in history Visit BigfootClassified.com and subscribe to Bigfoot Classified, available where you get your podcast. Understood.
1: Are you concerned with human encroachment on the Florida wetlands and its effect on (laughs) Skunkade? Not me in particular, you know. That was the
2: big push. I don't know how old you are, but... You know, when we were young and all, I was indoctrinated in school by the National Park Service, and you know, I don't know if you're from that same same era, but you can only imagine how they hammered environmentalism home and the need to preserve the Everglades when I was young, um, and that was all about they didn't they they didn't think people should live in the Everglades that people were bad and that my family was bad for living here, and that we should leave, and that I should get an education and get smart and get out of the Everglades. Well, during that process, they pretty much won that battle. Um, over 500 residents left the Everglades, uh, the preserve, um, and so all all the people I knew as a kid are gone. The town basically died Uh, bulldozers dug it up and restored it natural, as best they could, I guess. So And so there's been three million acres preserved like that. And so, yeah, development and all, it's a big issue. We're getting ready to develop all the way from West Palm Beach to the shore of Lake Okeechobee. It's all slated for development. We're talking about millions and millions of people um also um also on the on the East, on the west coast above lake Okeechobee uh, uh is is growing rapidly and so there's an issue there and um you hear about the uh, everglades and the everglades restoration and the captains for clean water and and uh and the dirty water coming out of the palusahatchee. And you know, I, I have big disagreements with with a lot of those groups, um, including Captains for Clean Water. Um, although I support the group, you know, I'm not going to say nothing bad about them. But I've got, I, I would like to, I would like to talk to them and find out a little bit because the problems is is way. I don't know if they're focusing on the problem. I guess the local Indian woman's at it best when she says at least they're trying. Um, So, you know, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But as far as development in the Everglades, um, it's not happening. This is all government land. So I'm not really worried about encroachment on me. I never have guessed and uh, live our neighbors. Hopefully, I have a guest. I have a guest every now and then, but I'll never have neighbors. That's just off the table. So, uh, you know, the skunk apes around Mayaka, Ocala National Forest, up in the Panhandle, um, you know, it may be a a bigger issue for researchers up there. That's for sure. I feel sorry for those isolated animals. Um, There's a There's a big movement to put in uh, wildlife corridors so that cougars and stuff can meander back and forth safely. And um, I don't know, I'm I'm thinking it might be too late for that uh, with all the development that's planned.
1: Now, you've also recently released a book on the tracks of the skunk ape, Florida skunk ape. How does that feel? Yeah, it
2: feels okay. It was
1: co-authored by a guy, Ron
2: Malone, and and the book is good, and I highly recommend it. Um, but I had a little field guide that sold for five bucks. It was a hot item, flew off the shelves. So people loved it, and I think what I want to do here in the next couple months is I'm gonna I'm gonna rewrite that field guide, and I'm gonna add some really good photos and, and make it it was more just a paper staple thing but so i'm thinking about doing another one but anybody if you want to know about the skunk apes on the track of the skunk apes excellent book
1: okay yeah i've ordered mine i haven't received it yet but i am definitely looking forward to it does it <laughs> offer uh suggestions for studying the skunk ape
2: oh it does more than that it gives you uh GPS locations, it goes over, you know, making sure you got your safety equipment and stuff like that. It's a a full in-depth book. If you read the book through and follow the guidelines, you you, you could be out here in the big cypress in the middle of nowhere in no time.
1: Nice. Okay. So what do you think is the future of the Florida Skunk Age?
2: I think... I think it's pretty good, you know. We have we have issues here that aren't being addressed simply from because they're not popular. Um, But there's definitely been a huge decline in the wildlife. It's been blamed on the on the pythons. That's just not true. there's been a, our, our wildlife here in the Everglades has been decimated by mountain lions. The park service who preaches don't bring exotics here brought mountain lions here to breed with our native panthers. And they've created a monster. And that monster's destroying the Everglades. And uh, nobody wants to talk about it because everybody loves a kitty cat. And so I'm just wasting my breath. I just have to sit back, watch everything die, including the cat. And then balance will come back to the Everglades, but probably not in my lifetime. Wow! I
1: know I had not heard about the uh, uh, introduction of the cats uh, in Florida.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was the biggest injustice ever heaped upon the Everglades, and it was done by our own government. And nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to cover it up. And people are so excited when they see a Florida panther. And it's it's just disgusting. It's disgusting, the rhetoric. But I don't want to get, I don't, you know, we can talk about a lot of things. I do a lot of shows about a lot of different things. I'm, I'm involved in a huge treasure hunting operation off of Key West, which I'll be down there for the next two months. Uh, it's fascinating. Two of the oldest, richest scallions to ever lost at sea. Um, we've been, we've just located a, a huge mother load of bronze cannons. It's fascinating, so I, I, I'm pretty well versed on the whole state of Florida, and I, and I want to say that the Captains for Clean Waters is, is a great cause, and if anybody's donated to it or whatever, God bless you. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I probably should be more involved myself.
1: Okay, I understand. Now, you will be a guest speaker at the upcoming Southwest Florida Skunk Cape Conference on June 4th, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's
2: probably going to be my last speaking event. I'm. not know.
1: I'm just,
2: yeah. I don't, I don't think I, I will anymore. It's, I don't know. I don't think I'm doing skunk apes or anybody else a favor by, by trying to hang in. Um, it's, it seems like people have got their own ideas about what they want to do.
1: And Okay. So what kind of topics are you going to bring to this conference?
2: Uh, pretty much what you know along the lines of what we talked about i haven't really uh set up my agenda for speaking yet but i really feel like there's uh, you know a few topics i'd like to touch on um that maybe people aren't aware of however i know i'm going to meet resistance if i talk about panthers cuz no everybody wants to think they're endangered um if i talk about um reality tv i know so much about it i'm behind the scenes on so many shows that I really think that it's not fair to the producers that I say anything because their trade secrets are, you know, how they make a living. So I'm still trying to put, put it together and present myself uh, in, in a professional manner and not uh, belittle anybody or anything like that, or at least come across that way. And it, it's hard to do for me. So... But I'm going to stick with the Skunk Ape, going to bring my tracks, uh, be sociable, and we're going to have a gathering afterwards at uh, a local tavern called Hurricane Charlie's, and I'm hoping some people wear my Skunk Ape t shirts and I can get some pictures there and basically have a good time. There's going to be other speakers there, too. It's not just about me, so I'm interested in hearing what the other people have to say as well.
1: Yeah, both uh, Goldie and I will be uh, attending, and yeah, we look forward to many of the speakers that we've met at previously. Uh, so yeah, it definitely should be a great time and a lot of opportunities for people to present and focus specifically on the Florida skunk Yeah, there's
2: a there's this group. I met some of the members here a uh, while back. It's called the Mid Florida Bigfoot Research Group. Is that
1: right? Yes. That's with, uh, Maria and, uh, her group of volunteers. They're, They're they are amazing and great people yeah, to work with. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really
2: impressed. There was one guy that lived in Tampa. He was a cab driver. His name was Tim Fasana, and he was in the woods all the time. This is years ago. And he, and that was, uh, he would do YouTube. I would see him. I had an internet connection back then. And, uh, and he had a heart attack and died, and he was a big guy. He just, I don't know what happened. And so I was like, man, that's the only guy I know that spends any time out there. And and he was kind of rejected by the Bigfoot people too. Um, but then I met, met Marie and her group, and I want to tell you I'm really impressed by them, and I really want, I don't know how much base they want. But I really want to push their base and their group because the administrative on the site is first class. Uh, they don't let people argue stuff; they shut them right down, which people shouldn't argue. And um, and they also put in the time. So I really want to, you know, do a big push for that group. I think they're I think they're the answer to organized
1: skunk ape hunting in Florida. Quite honestly. Yeah, they even participated in a previous episode we had, and we're telling us about many of the encounters they've had in the Green Swamp area. Yeah, yeah, they got a guy named
2: Tim. He's awesome. And a lot yeah. of their methods are, are, to me, are just, you know, something different and new, and I'm not familiar with all that, but... I'm open minded and willing to learn, especially the areas they go into because I'm very small really. i I mean I, I don't get away to go visit other places very often. I'm just here in the Everglades.
1: Well, that's a pretty large handful in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It and is. I do but appreciate the mind. work you do. Well, God bless you. Thank you.
2: I appreciate the work you're doing right now, you and you and your lovely assistant.
1: Oh, thank you. Can't wait to meet you. Yeah. Well, um, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to make sure that we covered anything that you wanted to talk about. So was there anything that I missed? Um, <laughs> but I got these
2: T-shirts. They're my black standard T-shirts with a logo on the front. It's like a pocket logo, and then the logo on the back. So I'm hoping that at the Skunk Ape Conference, not so much there, but when we go over to Hurricane Charlie's, people got that shirt to wear so I can get some really nice group pictures to put on the wall in my shop. So if anybody's thinking about coming and and they're not not in, yeah. So I got those, and you can go to skunkape.info on the Internet, and it'll go into my shop. So will you have them at the conference? I didn't really want to vend. I didn't really i I didn't really want to go up and vend. I did that at the Everglades Seafood Festival and at the Wild Hog, and it's a lot of work. And um,
0: you know, a- I I
2: might I, I might bring a dozen of each size or something like that, but I'm not. I I don't plan on selling anything. I might have some in the car. If somebody wants one afterwards, I can sell them.
1: Okay. I just want to – I'm asking because, yeah, since we're coming to the conference, I want to make sure we had one to bring with us. So uh, I will – Order one. I guess we'll order now. Make sure we have it in time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'll 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 just go ahead and say right now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a few, but I'm not really there to sell anything. If somebody wants a shirt, they can just say, "Hey, I want one of those shirts, and that's twenty bucks." And I might have their size, but you know, I'd, I'd rather not do it that way.
1: Right. Totally understand. I mean, this conference is more for information than anything else. So, well, we'll make yeah. sure they notice yeah. the website and order before the conference. Yeah, I'll make sure right. I post in our show notes a link to your uh, website. And I just hope that people attend, including myself, uh, can just clear their
2: minds from all the garbage that's going on in the world and and all every, pretty much everything they've heard about anything and just open up their minds and sit back for a little bit and just be open to the idea that maybe something is
1: going on or exists that they aren't aware of. I, I totally agree, and I appreciate you doing that.
2: Yeah. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate every single person that shows up at the conference. It will be so nice. I hope I hope we get a handful. You know how these things go. If you get it all pumped up and you advertise it and everything, and you go there and there's 10 people sitting around. One of them's picking their nose. But I hope it's better than
1: that. I'm sure it will be. All right. Okay. Well, now that it's time to take our walk back out of the mist, we want to thank our guest, Dave Sheely, for his time and for being an advocate to the Florida Skunk Ape. Uh, Please make sure you check the show notes where we will have links to his book and to the uh, Skunk Ape Research website. Dave, this has been amazing. This has been a long time coming, That I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, So everyone else? Uh, Be sure to keep an eye out on the Everglades and remain constantly curious.